Alright everybody, welcome to another edition of the Ball Street Journal Podcast. Today we got me and Deep talking about the playoffs. Three games into the Western Conference semifinals and two games into the Eastern Conference. Game threes today in the East, uh, going on. Sixers Celtics happening right now and Cavs Raptors later tonight. So Deep, I think a lot has been said, but we got to talk about it. LeBron, man. LeBron James, as they say. <laughs> That's the mood right now. I mean, the commentator in the last game literally labeled the city Lebronto because that's how much he's owned them. Another year, another <laughs> another <laughs> series of Cavs, Toronto, another big disappointment for the Raptors. I mean, if there was ever a year for Toronto to actually capitalize on this and beat LeBron and actually make it past them to go to the finals, or in this case, just the semifinals, this was the year. I mean, I can't remember a worse supporting cast for LeBron. And once again, Toronto's effing it up. Yep. I mean, so the Raptors won 59 games this year, franchise high, number one seed. And everybody's like, all right, this is the Raptors year. They completely changed the way they play. They're not relying on Lowry, DeRozan isolation anymore. And it's like, all right, this is their time. LeBron, like you said, such a bad supporting cast. They look terrible at times in the regular season. No one's playing defense. Even the Pacers, they took them to seven games, and the Pacers looked like the better team throughout most of that series. Yeah. And somehow, here we are, LeBron's up 2-0. So, I mean, at this point, are you so are you, are you you one of those guys who will entertain the fact that LeBron might be the GOAT, like better than MJ, or are you just like, nah, it's MJ? So, I grew up in the era of LeBron, so LeBron will be my personal GOAT, and I think he's solidified that status as the GOAT probably after that first Cleveland uh, finals victory. I mean... Oh, when they came back from 3-1. That's never been done in the finals. I don't even necessarily know if MJ could have done it. And with the cast that he had, MJ probably could have done it with one of those Bulls teams. Let's be honest, the Bulls teams were a lot better than any of the Cavs teams that LeBron's been on. But for LeBron to do what he did that season in that final series, I think that put him up as go. And even what he did the year before, is literally dragging the entire team through the playoffs into the finals and taking the words up to game six. Uh, the, the first year when he came back to Cleveland. Yeah, that first year, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible. So the thing I've noticed about LeBron is that when he actually believes in his team, so that we've seen, so the thing about LeBron, right, is we've seen both sides of him in 2010. Uh, the first time when he was on Cleveland and the first before, right before he left for Miami. Right. Uh, he, he just crumbled in the playoffs in that Celtic series. And you realize like, yeah, he wasn't really believing in that team and he wasn't playing up to par. Mm -hmm. And same with that 2014 Miami team against the Spurs before he came back to Cleveland. Yeah. In the finals, they lost in five games. And you can tell LeBron realized like the writing's on the wall for this team. Yeah. And they're just not up to par with what he wanted. But right now it's weird. So in the Pacers series, he kind of looked like he, he's like, whatever. Like, I don't know if this team can really make the finals. But these first two games, man, he's like cheering his teammates on. Like mm -hmm. even guys like it, I don't know how this happened, but Tristan Thompson is back somehow. <laughs> like LeBron, like so. Here's my theory on Tristan Thompson. I am guaranteeing you right here, right now, that LeBron hired whoever that model was to cheat on Tristan, so that way he broke up the Kardashian couple, <laughs> breaks the Kardashian curse, and now we have the Tristan that we have now. 
<laughs> I do not put it past LeBron to do something like that. <laughs> he hired his, his agents, and I mean, LeBron's so powerful, right? He could just... Because in 2016, they won the championship, and right after that, Tristan started dating Chloe. Right, and, and right then after they that, lost in 2017. Exactly, <laughs> and so LeBron saw the riding the wall, he's like, you know what? I gotta I got break this up whatever way I can. Reset those LA contacts, got the, got the hose out into the club, and the rest is history. So now here we are. Yeah, or my theory is that, I don't know if it's really a theory, but Tristan's gotta focus all his energy on basketball because he knows he ain't going home to Chloe now. Like, he's got, he's got nowhere else to be. All he's got is basketballs. And I mean, it's just crazy. Like, LeBron is like cheering yeah. on Tristan. He's like cheering yeah. on even Kevin Love, like, who's looked so beaten down at times. I think I really saw that, that shift in his focus. And, or just his demeanor back in probably game six against the Pacers. That's probably the first time I saw him actually like hustling, going in for the steal. Or you mean like, uh, seven or five? Because six, they got blown out. Oh, so third. sorry, seven, <laughs> seven. I think that's where I really saw him just kind of like take it up to the next level, right? I mean, in the past, we've seen LeBron in the first two rounds of playoffs just, you know, be like, okay, I'm going to blow through these guys anyway. And yeah. not Usually by now, he's already swept through two teams. Exactly. <laughs> by this point, he's probably resting, getting ready for these conference finals. But to see him actually try on defense for the first time in, in a couple of years in before the Easter Conference Finals is pretty refreshing to me and to see him cheering on his teammates, to see him just evolve his game, right? I mean, what was I think he was talking about it in the press conference after the game where he was talking about how Dwayne Casey pointed out that he didn't have a fadeaway game during that 2011 <laughs> series against the Mavs in the finals, right? Yep. And he actually credited <laughs> Dwayne Casey for giving him, I guess, the wherewithal to, to develop those skills. And then he went ahead and put on a fadeaway <laughs> clinic yeah. right in front of Dwayne Casey's face. I mean, so I think this is like a true mark of greatness, right? It, when a guy is so, he's so good, that he's almost, I feel like he was almost taking this like really tough fadeaways just to show it to the other team that, hey, I can make these now. Yeah. Or almost like, feel like he's ran a run out of challenges that he's like, all right, let me try taking these tough ass fadeaways and see if I can make it. I mean, let's be honest. All right. He was clipping his fingernails in the middle of the game because he, he not... I did not see that. Yeah. So That's just disrespectful. He showed a clip where he was clipping his fingernails in the middle of a game because he, he couldn't be bothered less by Toronto at this point. I mean, what do you do if you're Toronto at this point? How do you stop the run? Um, so Toronto came into this series. So game one, they're like, we're going to double LeBron and okay. because they're like, all right, his role players haven't shown that they've been that effective. Mm -hmm. So let's double LeBron. But then the game one, those role players started to show up. JR is making threes, Corbett making threes. Even Love made a big three in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. Tristan Thompson grabbing offensive rebounds. They showed up. So game two, Toronto's like, all right, they made the adjustment. They're like, we're not going to double LeBron now. And we're going to uh, just stay one-on-one -on -one with him. And then he just completely owned him. Like, so they thought like, all right, we'll put that rookie OG Anipui. Yeah, that guy is not the answer. And then he went to the bench. Siakam, put, they put Siakam on him. They put, come on, for like, they put CJ Miles on him. Like, there's no way that he can guard LeBron. Well, not even that. They try to put CJ Miles on Kevin Love. Right? <laughs> yeah. Then they just forget that Kevin Love is actually an amazing post player. Yeah. And that's how he scored his 31 points. I, I don't really recall Kevin Love shooting that many threes, right? Right. I mean, for or him, even if he did, he wasn't making that many. Yeah. Exactly. And then he's like, okay, you know what? If you're gonna put CJ Miles on me <laughs> in, instead of respecting me and putting, you know, an actual big man like on Ibaka me, like Ibaka or someone. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm just gonna go ahead and post and just post up all over you guys. And props to LeBron for realizing that. And props to LeBron for realizing that this OG guy is not Damari Carroll or is not whoever they tried to defend him last year. Yeah. You know, and it just goes off. Yeah, and they've tried to DeRozan. He didn't work either. I think 
it's a, it's just a really bad matchup for the Raptors. This is something we saw in the the last two games when Cavs and Raptors played. Mm. They just have no answer for LeBron. It, um, he's been a bad matchup for them. Not only this year, this whole decade or half decade, like LeBron just owns Toronto. They got no answer for him. And I'm sure that this is the worst case scenario for the Raptors. They were probably praying that yeah. the Raptors got the third seed so they can avoid. Or sorry, the Cavs got the third seed so to, Toronto could avoid them in the second round, but. Just an unfortunate scenario for the Raptors. Is it just psychological now for the Raptors? I, I think so. I think they step onto the court and they maybe they stay they in the first quarter they come out firing, they're like, Alright, we're gonna turn it around today. Yeah. But then as the game goes on, LeBron just like keeps on coming and coming and demoralizes them. Yeah, I think the only thing that's gonna save the Raptors right now is a new Drake album. Something <laughs> to hype them up, something to get them back in the series, but I mean they're going back to Cleveland, right? They're gonna have two more games there. Is that it for Toronto? Is, is the next time the Toronto facility opens up for training camp? Uh, it's looking like a sweep, yeah. I mean, unless the role players like completely shit the bed and they don't show up again. But mm-hmm. even if they don't, like, what are they going to do about LeBron? It's So la- last summer, it's interesting, right? With Toronto now, last summer, everyone's like, oh man, like they're going to break this up. Yeah. But then they're like, no, like let's bring back Larry. Let's bring back Ibaka. We'll change the way we play. And the results show they earned the number one seed. They played yeah. really well. And then they still can't get, if they can't even get past the second round still, I, I don't know. I Maybe this is like when they actually start to break it up, but they can't just like let these guys walk. Everyone signed to multi-year deals, Lowry, Ibaka, DeRozan. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see who's the fall guy there. Well, let's fast forward a couple games, right? Let's just assume LeBron and the Cavs sweep Toronto, right? And we talked a little bit earlier how... Um, Maybe it's time for the Portland backcourt to break up, right? We talked about that in the first episode. Yep. Is it time for the Toronto backcourt to break up if they actually end up losing the series? Uh, you may have to, but they're going to have a hard time breaking them up because Lowry's on a, he signed a three-year, $100 million deal. Mm-hmm. And DeRozan is like uh, also on a similar max deal. And I don't know if like other teams see those two guys as max players. Toronto sort of had to sign them to max deals to bring him back. But I don't know if other teams, and the problem now is because of that 2016 summer where teams were just spending like crazy, there's barely anybody with cap space who can bring on these max players that Toronto have in Lowry and DeRozan. Yeah. Um, Plus they're also best friends forever, so you can't break that up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they may just have to rely on internal improvement with their young guys and just run it back because they can't really trade these guys. Yeah. And it's It's hard to believe that you know, we were all talking about Dwayne Casey as coach of the year, and he has yet to make any adjustment, at least any adjustments that I've noticed to try to stop LeBron, and it'll be interesting to see what he does tonight. Yeah, and the biggest surprise is coming into this series, it was unexplainable that the Cavs were, uh, or sorry, yeah, the Cavs, uh, the, they were pretty big underdogs. I think the odds were plus 160 for the Cavs. Mm-hmm. So, and it just didn't make sense because LeBron's owned them for like so long. Yeah. Well, let's let's segue to a team that's actually made some adjustments to their game plan. The New Orleans Pelicans. <laughs> yeah, so last night came out on fire. And, man, playoff Rondo showed up last night. Again. 20, 21 assists, a career, uh, or a Pelicans uh, franchise high in a playoff game. Are you telling me Rondo's had more than 21 assists in a playoff game before? No, 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 sorry. This is the most that a Pelicans player ever has had in a playoff game. 21 assists. <laughs> Wow. Anthony Davis finally beats the Warriors in the playoff. He was 0-6 uh, coming into that game. 
they were just like they they just blew the roof off on the Warriors last night. Yeah, I mean AD's post game last night just really impressed me. And the the fact that Alvin Gentry made that adjustment to say, hey. There is nobody on the Warriors that can defend AD. It's not Draymond. And maybe Draymond's got him on, on the uh on the perimeter, but he's not big enough to guard AD on, on on in the in the post, right? Yep. Looney is not athletic enough, JaVale's not athletic enough, sorry, <coughs> to cover um to cover AD in the post either. Right? So what's what's the answer? I um they got they got no one to stop AD and like I mean Few teams do, right? I mean, he's just a monster. You can't really stop AD. You could just hope to contain him. Um, the one thing I'm kind of curious to see if Steve Kerr will try this is maybe put KD on him. So it'll be tough for KD because then he'll be having to expend so much energy on defense. But, I mean, now that Steph is back, there's slight, there's less offensive load on uh, KD. Because, I mean, the, he's, KD's the only one who could be, like, match up with him in height and length. Obviously, Davis will own him, like, in terms of just his physical uh, size, yeah. but Katie's tall and long enough. But there's no way to stop a- uh, Anthony Davis. Do you think the the Warriors can continue to outshoot whatever AD can produce? Yeah, I think that's 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 their only um, the blueprint because last night they didn't shoot well, and that's why. But I think more than the game, what's been interesting is the Rondo and Draymond Green beef. You, uh, you see that what happened last night? Yeah, apparently you have an interesting theory behind this beef. <laughs> so yeah, I was on Twitter and I read and I was reading some theories on why uh, Rondo and Draymond hate each other. So last year when Paul Pierce announced his retirement during one of the Warriors Clippers games, when Pierce was on the bench, Draymond uh, was Draymond and Pierce were talking, mm-hmm. talking some trash, and Draymond was like, uh, "You think uh, he, he told Pierce basically you think you're gonna get a retirement tour like Kobe? They don't love you like that." He basically disappears, and Rondo, going back to the Celtics days, is like a huge Paul Pierce guy, and he still owes his allegiance to him. And apparently that's why Rondo hates Draymond. Well, I mean, I don't want Rondo coming after me, but I mean, I had a problem with Paul <laughs> Pierce's retirement tour, too. I mean, there's a guy who's bounced around the league for the past, I guess, the last five years of his career. Does he really deserve a farewell tour? The only guys that deserve a farewell tour are Kobe Bryant, and Derek Jeter. Not even Michael Jordan deserved a farewell tour. And now Paul Pierce wants one too. So I, I'm kind of in the Draymond boat here. I'm sorry, Rajon Rondo. Please don't come after me. Is it Rajon or Rajon? I don't care, man. I just don't <laughs> want to come after me because he's probably top five dark alley team. <laughs> yeah, it's so that's apparently why. So Rondo tried to trip Draymond yesterday. They're basically trying to like, um, what do you call it? instigate Draymond to, into getting some technicals and then hopefully he'll get ejected and then the Pelicans turn this series around. Oh, I'm fine with that. Just rack up the technicals, right, until you get to the finals when you face LeBron and just one more. You have a game for game four and the Cavs sweep the Warriors <laughs> to win their second championship in four years, calling it. <laughs> Damn, bold prediction right there. Oh, I'm just saying, from what I've seen from the Warriors over the past two games and from what I've seen, from the Cavs of the past two games, how can you not? Yeah, so what do you think uh, what happens in game four in this series with uh, Pelicans Warriors? So they're going back to... Oh, they'll still be in New Orleans, right? Yeah, for game four. I mean, what I saw from the Pelicans defensively, they really they really stopped the perimeter. I mean, Drew Holiday's defense... He's a beast. On, He's a beast. It, it, on the perimeter is insane. I, who, there was somebody else, I can't really recall the name, but... Whoever was guarding Clay last night or two nights ago, he was a beast too. Yeah. Right? So they've kind of figured that part out. I don't know if the Warriors can figure out the AD part. 
No, I, I just think there's no answer. So it may just be one of those series that goes seven games now. Like at, the Warriors at home, they'll get those foul calls that they don't get on the road. Mm-hmm. And same with the Pelicans. Like Anthony Davis is so hard to uh, basically officiate. It's kind of like Shaq and like all these dominant bigs yeah. where you can call it so many different ways. You can call a foul on the opposing guy who's guarding Davis every single time. Yeah. Or you could just be like, all right, tonight we're not going to call it. Like he's just too good. We can't give him the fouls. I feel like he'll get those calls at home, but won't on the road. Yeah, I don't think the Warriors can really be all that successful running their their standard half-court offense. I think it's really going to be on transition offense and just making sure they get those easy buckets or those you know transition threes with Steph and Clay. If they have to get into an off-half-court motion and that defense for the Pelicans comes out again, or they have AD um, just clogging up the paint, preventing Steph from driving in, preventing Clay from driving in, shutting down JaVale, Shamil Looney, or whoever other big they have that I yeah. can't name, I, think, I don't think they can win like that. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see Game 4. If, like, the Warriors also came out very flat last night. So yeah. what I'm interested to see is like, if Game 4, they like come out with a little bit more sense of urgency. Yeah. Um, so going on, so you said like LeBron, he's going to go to the Finals. Um, so we all know he's going to get to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. The question there now is, like, who's he going to face, right? The Celtics or the 76ers? And this series, man, it's been, like, going, like, completely... The, uh, so, just a quick update. Two, 2.30 left in the third. Celtics up 69-64. So, I thought... I actually thought Sixers would win this game in a blowout. Like, this is considering ins- being they're down 0-2. And they're playing at home, and we know how raucous the Philly crowd can get. Yep. And this is exactly why... Brad Stevens is the MVP for the Celtics. <laughs> He's got to be the best coach in the league, right? So I was, I was listening to a segment um, by Will Kane from ESPN, and they were essentially doing a draft, right? You were able to draft any player, any coach in the NBA currently. Mm-hmm. He had Brad Stevens going number eight in the draft. Wow. He is the ninth. Or so, in terms coach. of players and coaches, he's, he goes number eight. Well, oh, I think there were eight players he would pick before Brad, Brad Stevens. Stevens. LeBron, KD. Yeah, Steph, that makes sense. But still, right? even then, like. Uh, their three best players are gone. Yeah. No Kyrie, no Hayward. I mean, if you want to, if you want to have the conversation between Jalen Brown or. Yeah, well, I mean, game Warner one, like Jalen Brown was out. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfathomable. I can't think of another coach that would be able to do this. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. The, so, I think what happened was everyone was hyping up the 76ers so much coming into this series. And no one was really giving the Celtics a chance. Yeah. And then it was just like, um, the Sixers got too maybe full of themselves a little bit. And well, then, I mean, as NBA fans, we just got so sensitized to the fact that to win in this league, you need to have superstars. Yeah. Right? And if you need at least two superstars or a big three consisting of one superstar and two all-stars mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. the very minimum. And there's this guy from Indiana <laughs> just completely just turning that model upside his head. Yeah. And just winning without, A, his stars from last year, right, are gone. Mm-hmm. His stars from this year are gone. Yeah. Right? The only remaining piece is Al Horford. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and if you're telling me Al Horford is your key to winning a playoff series, I don't think anyone's going to buy that. Right? <laughs> and this guy is doing it. So... Here's the, like, the quick thing I noticed about Brad. Uh, whoever he has in that point guard role or lead guard role, so whether it's Isaiah Thomas yeah. or this year Kyrie and now Terry Rozier, he does a tremendous job. Even of, Shane, Shane Larkin. Shane Larkin, Larkin yeah. Oh, my goodness. So Brad does a really great job of whoever's at that point guard role or lead guard role. Uh, he, he gets so much out of them, and he elevates their play to another level. Like Isaiah, like we saw as soon as he left Boston, granted he had the injury, 
but not like the same player, right? Kyrie comes from oh. Cleveland to Boston, and now he looks like a he just made up a, oh, a whole uh, he made him like an all around player now, mm-hmm. and he's making Terry Rozier look like a all NBA guard the way he's playing. <laughs> oh, who is Terry Rozier? And that's what Eric Bledsoe said. <laughs> I haven't heard anything about Terry Rozier all season until Kyrie went out, and then he all of a sudden started balling. I don't know what what he's feeding his point guards out there in Boston, but whatever it is, keep doing it because he's about to make Terry Rozier a hundred million dollar man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's gonna be interesting. Celtics have some decisions because Rozier and Smart is Smart, both free agents. Wow. But the point guard on the other team, Ben Simmons, game two, one point. I don't know what was up with that. Um, the defense was good. It was definitely there by by the Celtics. How many shots did, did Simmons take? Not that many. And the thing is, so. Um, I read this article on The Ringer, and it was like, maybe Ben Simmons does need a sh- jump shot. I mean, he's been getting through it, like, without it. But when you play a really good coach like Brad Stevens, he'll try to, he'll pick apart at your weaknesses and deficiencies. And we know Ben Simmons is that he can't shoot. Well, I, I mean, the, the shooting definitely needs to be there, but there's also something to be said for his aggressiveness, right? I mean, if he's if he's only going to be taking, well, I think it was maybe like five shots in yeah. the last game, he needs to be more aggressive than that. And, and that aggressiveness is what led the Sixers to be successful, right? With, if they're afraid of Ben Simmons getting into the paint and passing it out and kicking it out for a three or going in for a layup or a dunk, that's what makes the Sixers successful. And when he's not doing it, they're not going to win. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, and he can't do it on his own. And the whole their whole 76ers offense relies on Ben Simmons driving and kicking it out. And... But yeah, so it's 69-68 now, Celtics going into the fourth. So right. I, it's still close, man. I mean, the Celtics could very much up be 3-0. Like the Celt- I thought the 76ers would be up much more by now. Yeah, we might have to uh, wrap this pie a little. <laughs> <laughs> so you can catch the this fourth game. Right, oh my goodness. Uh, so some quick thoughts on our last series, the uh, Jazz and Rockets. So after that game two, Jazz gave a little bit of the scare to the Rockets. Everyone's like, oh my god, is this the same old Rockets? CP3 with his playoff troubles, Harden playoff troubles, D'Antoni playoff struggles. So, quick disclaimer. Night- <laughs> quick disclaimer. I did not actually watch the game last night because I'm tired of watching the Rockets play and watching James <laughs> Harden just disheartened the game of basketball. So, I watched Civil War for the sixth time. <laughs> but again, the reason I'm not watching this, the Rocket series is because it's so frustrating to watch James Harden. Yes, he's exciting when he gets those payback threes. I get it. <laughs> but to watch him foul hunt for 40 minutes is not an exciting brand of basketball. To watch him ISO for 20 seconds and then take it out for a three to Errol Gordon or Ryan Anderson or whoever it is. Yeah. I just don't want to watch that and it's boring basketball. I'm sorry, I have to say it. No, no. I mean, so the Rockets are one of those teams that for their own fans, like Rockets fans, they're an awesome team to watch. But for everybody else, it's just like Harden at the top of the key, four shoot, four three-point shooters standing behind the line. And then it's just Harden being really good and really smart. He'll either like figure out how to solve the defense, either drive and kick or take it to the hoop themselves. Or you put Capella in there, throw it an alley-oop to him. Yeah. That's pretty much the Rockets' offense, and it's been unstoppable. Last night, they were up by 30 at halftime, finished the game. They was a blowout loss, like, from end to end. Yeah. And then it just showed, basically, the Rockets didn't come out with that same fire they did in Game 1. They came out completely flat in Game 2. And then Game 3, they, they were the Rockets again. What's, the, what's, their, uh, what's Utah's answer for James Harden? Uh, they got no answer at this point. I mean, they put Donovan Mitchell on him. He could slow him down. I mean, the only thing is you hope that you could funnel. So, quick interesting point, right? Watching this series, same thing that the Jazz are doing the exact same thing, what they did to Russ, right? They're they're funneling Harden into Rudy Gobert. 
mm-hmm. and hoping that that Hardy can't get those drives because of Colbert's there. Yeah. And whereas Russ struggled with that, and it may just be like the way the team is built, it's it's when you can even, even when you funnel Harden into Gobert, he just kicks it out to all his three-point shooters, yeah. whereas Russ didn't have those same shooters around him, or he just took the shot himself and it wasn't as successful. So it's been a nice like comparison seeing like the Jazz having to play the Thunder and right after, or the Rockets right after they played the Thunder. Yeah, I, I, I read an interesting article that said Kobe Bryant reached out to Donovan Mitchell and said he has to approach the series just how uh, Dwayne Wade approached that final series against the Mavs back in 2007? Oh, yeah. Uh, six. Six, 2006. Is that enough for Mitchell to overcome the Rockets? Um. So, yeah, I, I think the problem is like they're also missing Ricky Rubio, who's really good in that Thunder series. Yeah. And Mitchell's already doing so much for this team. Now he's like playing their point guard, basically. And there's just one guy short on and the Rockets' talent level is too much. Um, yeah. I think the Rockets win this next game, game four, and then close it out in five games. Uh, the talent level is just so disparate, uh, disparaging uh, between the Rockets and the Jazz. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the the Jazz can really win with forcing Mitchell to be both the distributor of the ball and the primary scorer. I just don't think that's the it's, it's too much. I mean, he's win. a rookie, right? At the end of the, he's been, the thing is, we forget he's a rookie because he's so good. Yeah. But it, it's hard. I, the Jazz definitely have a bright future with this team. Yeah, I mean that's that's what that's what worked for them in, in the Oklahoma series, right? They actually who would have thought Ricky Rubio would have been the key for, <laughs> for a playoff series, but there it is. And now they're Ricky Rubio less, or I think now we have to start calling Rick Rubio after that performance he had a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just not enough. And I feel bad just because Utah's had this level of success after losing Gordon Hayward, which you know everyone was calling them a top three lottery team beginning the season. Here they are. And just just ran into a, a mammoth of a team in, in the Rockets. Yeah. All right, guys. So me and Deep are gonna go watch the 76ers Celtics game, the fourth quarter. What's the score right now? It is 70 to 69 Sixers. They just took the lead. Started the fourth, 11:24 left. So we're gonna wrap up this podcast so we can go watch the game, yeah. and uh, we'll catch up with you guys next week. And we'll, it'll be interesting to see what developments have happened by next week. Peace out.